for the longest time I had this conversation of like, okay, money doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I want to be fulfilled. Yeah. It means giving back to the dot. But in the last five years, five plus years of being an entrepreneur, I also realized, okay, it's not just one or the other. It's not either you're evil and making money or you're sa- like saving the world and making shit, right? Yeah. There's got to be a healthy balance. 100%. Mm-hmm. And money money is not evil it's what you do with it right yeah, yeah it, it's, it's energy it's a tool it's yeah. just a piece of paper yeah so i definitely went through my journey of like holy shit i just quit my six-figure job and i'm making zero dollars so mm. there was definitely that fear but my was there purpose, any doubts though like did you there have was doubts? never a doubt mm. because i i know i can make money yeah. i know i'm very hireable so i was like if all goes to shit which is like not the plan mm. I can easily get another six-figure paying job. Mm -hmm. But if I don't do this now and create Neon Now and go after my passions and pursue my coaching business and everything, when the hell am I going to do it? Welcome to the Blitz Seekers Podcast. Our podcast is intended to inspire people to discover their true purpose and follow their bliss. We're on every major platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Please make sure you like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast and please enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have an amazing guest. She's a multi-passionate entrepreneur whose mission in life is to inspire people to break free of limitations and to truly live an authentic life of vision, passion, and purpose. Welcome to the podcast, Elaine Wayne. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you for being here. It's exciting to have you, you know. I heard a lot of things about you. Um, I know we had a, a special friend of yours on the, on, yes, on the podcast. Yes, my boo. Your boo? Yeah. Sergio. Shout yeah. out to Sergio. What's up, Sergio? Thank you for being on the podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm excited to have you. I know that you have done a lot of things in your life, and you're still doing amazing things. But um, as always, like we like to start the podcast by getting to know people, right? Awesome. Yeah. So I, and um, let's just talk about it. I guess tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up, you know how how that was, and you know. Yeah. So I am a first generation Chinese American. So okay. my parents are both from China. They mm. don't even speak English, actually. So wow. They so very came traditional. Here very traditional. They moved to Chinatown, San Francisco, where okay. they weren't required to learn English. Wow. And so that was about probably, I'm turning 33 this week. So that was probably 35 years ago. Like okay. they had the intention of coming here to America to create a better life for their future children, aka yeah. myself and my younger brother. So I basically grew up with my grandparents actually, because just due to a lot of circumstances, my parents weren't really able to take care of my brother and I here. So they thought it was going to be better to send us to China to where my grandparents can take care of us. So you grew up in China. So I grew up in China. So I was born here in America. And then I lived in China from like the age of zero, (laughs) like one to Mm. five. Okay. Mm. Then I came back for kindergarten. Okay. Because I knew like, you know, they didn't want me to come back and not know English and all this stuff. Yeah. So I actually came back in time for kindergarten. So what was it like from age one to five in China? Talk about that. Um, so I don't have like the a ton of memories, but yeah. I will say there were some happy memories like of like I knew how to ride a bike when I was a kid, but not when I was an adult. So maybe it was a tricycle. So uh, <laughs> it was like simple, right? Like living yeah. in China, it was always like the markets, like people. I think I did from photos I see. So I'm not sure if it's my memories or like the photos that I saw, but I did dance and like ballet and all this stuff. 
And life was, I guess, simple in mm -hmm. China. But once again, I don't have too many memories aside mm -hmm. from the ones of like memories of my aunt, right? Memories of my grandma, memories of my grandpa. It was like just visuals of them, not so much of like what I did. But right. I always knew that I was away from my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Have you have you ever heard the the saying that says that your subconscious is is basically designed or programmed from age zero to seven? Mm, no, I haven't. Yeah. So anything you learn from age zero to seven is your subconscious. So whatever happened to you during that time or whatever you learned, that's that's basically ingrained in you. Mm -hmm. And that's where 80 to 90% of your life decisions come from age zero to seven. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That explains a lot because yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm choosing not to remember some of those things. Yeah, really? <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Um, I definitely had a really rough childhood growing up. Okay. So there was a lot of pain and abuse. So okay. those are the things that I do remember. Okay. And it's funny, I've done a lot of work, especially from my late 20s to now. So let's say for the last six years, I've done a lot of trainings, like transformational work, leadership work. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for almost six years now. So also a lot in that space. So mm -hmm. I'm always looking to grow. Mm -hmm. But I realized that a few years ago when I actually went to a seminar, it was more like an emotional, experiential type of learning. It wasn't mm -hmm. like just like a pump up. So I just came from Tony Robbins, yeah. his <laughs> UPW and Date yeah. with Destiny, which there's some deeper work there too, but it's mm -hmm. a lot more like kind of inspiring. Like, uh, whereas I did this other training it's called um, MITT, and that I've heard one, of. I've heard I've heard of MITT. Yeah, so MITT. It's a, yeah, so it's in LA. Mit. And yeah, so and mm. I did that, and that was not what I signed up for. Like I thought I was signing up to like level up my business. Right. Mm. I'm very grateful for the experience, and honestly, if I didn't do it, I don't think my partner Sergio and I would be together. Okay. And so many things. Everything happens for a reason, right? Yes. And so as I'm doing this work, you know, I realize that. Some of my motivations that I thought were like, oh, about changing the world and making things better, they still are. But that place stems from pain. Mm. Right. But I didn't realize that until I had to dive in deeper to certain things that I don't even like remember or chose to acknowledge. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, you know, uh, sometimes like we look at uh, adversity or pain or bad things happening to us. Maybe at the time it, it felt real bad and you mm -hmm. don't understand why. But usually that's what builds people. Like, yeah. I don't think anybody that had like a super easy life, mm -hmm. I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think it's harder for them to succeed in life than somebody who had like a, a hard knock life, so mm -hmm. to speak, right? Because it kind of gives you the street smarts, it makes you mentally tough, stuff like that, right? Yeah. It makes you gritty yeah. and like that drive. And it's like, I, I'm going to get this done. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends, like uh, Heather and I were like, yeah, we're the scrappy sisters. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You got to get scrappy. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So... So you mentioned um, you grew up in China till five. Mm -hmm. So you still had about two years of your subconscious formed here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So when you came from China, where did you go? San Francisco, Chinatown first? Uh, no. So at that point, my parents lived in, I think my dad was still in New York slash coming back to California, but okay. uh, Richmond. So Richmond District, San Francisco. Oh. So I lived in lived in and grew up in Richmond okay. mm -hmm. until like I was 17, 18. Then we moved around like okay. a lot more. So Richmond District, what's the difference between Richmond District and Richmond, California? So Richmond District is in San Francisco. Oh, okay. It's like another yeah. like mini Chinatown. Oh, okay. So I lived in like three places. So I was born in Chinatown. I lived in Richmond, San Francisco, which is mm -hmm. like a mini Chinatown. And I lived in Sunset, 
which is also like another mini Chinatown in San Francisco. So, <laughs> wow. so yeah, my parents lived in their kind of Asian bubble yeah. <laughs> for quite some time. But it's not just the Asians that do that. I mean, I'm Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, m- my father's from Mexico. My mother's from here. But there, there's some Mexicans that come here and there's a, there's a Hispanic bubble, right? Yeah. They don't need to learn English. But what's crazy about that, and I, I don't know if it's the same for, for the Asian culture, because I know the Asian culture, they're business-minded. They help each other a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. But for the Hispanic culture, I notice that it kind of hurts them because if you come to the United States and you never learn English, like it's kind of hard to to move forward. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're kind of pigeonholed into certain jobs, certain businesses. Right. Um, but like, you know, or the other way, if like my dad, when he came here, he actually was like, you know what? I need to learn English. I need to learn it as good as I can. And he actually worked his way up in, in the, in the tech industry and was making over a quarter million dollars a year when he retired, no degree mm-hmm. came from Mexico barely spoke english when he came here right but because he was a leader he learned english and he just thought differently he made it he made it like pretty far i'd yeah. say yeah 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 so talk about that right like because you know your your parents uh, i mean growing up in these areas like wh- how did that how do you say that that did that mold you did that help you in a way um did that because i know there's a lot of good principles that you learn from that too mm-hmm. especially the asian culture because I, I don't know too much about it but what i heard is that you guys are very united you, you help each other out mm-hmm. and it's mainly business minded, mm-hmm. right? And especially if you grew, if you kind of grew up in China, like you probably saw that without even realizing that you just saw it everywhere, right? So talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yes. So yes, I will say, I will speak for the majority, I guess, of Chinese people. Yes, it's very like business minded. And, but at the same time, it's kind of weird, right? It's like they value success so mm-hmm. i was raised to value success okay status money mm-hmm. but at the same time like keeping my head down so it's like you better be successful right with like good grades and there's all these things like they value certain things like being a doctor or right. a lawyer yeah, so there's yeah. they value money and status uh-huh. but the idea of you know entrepreneurship is not as normal right right? so i am not normal however i took after my dad because my dad was an entrepreneur you know he had many failed businesses however right Mm -hmm. so that's the journey of an entrepreneur right so it's another like oh don't follow after the footsteps of your dad like look what he's look the look at the pain he's caused us right so they value status they value money but they also value rules right Mm. and these rules are like well, I broke all of them, but basically I should not have purple hair. I should not have tattoos. I have a bunch of those. Right. Shouldn't be dating a Mexican, a.k.a. Sergio. Like, <laughs> I should be with a nice yeah. Chinese boy with yeah. a good job, good family, good background. Right. And the thing is, like, for me, I shouldn't be too ambitious because wow. no okay. man is going to want a woman that's so ambitious. And and FYI, I do know how to cook, but I choose not to cook right. as much. They're like, oh, like, you're going to be such a bad homemaker. Like, yeah. who's going to want you? And I'm like, he can cook his own damn shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's so cook. many rules, right, for who yeah. I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So the, to, like, the, look the women's role is a little different. Right? And then who I'm supposed to be with, right. right? And then, like, money and status is valued, but at the same time, you don't really talk about money. It's so weird yeah i don't know if i can like curse in this no you can't like um so yeah there's just Mm -hmm. this huge set of rules Mm -hmm. that's quite confusing and conflicting and it's still confusing now even though i've chosen the path that's like my own Mm -hmm. i noticed that some of those 
ways that I was raised and some of those limiting beliefs or some of those things that are awkward topics, like some of those things stick with me, right. even though I chose my own path, right? right? Such as like money and like like showing our emotions. And I'm mm. so open to people I meet. Right. Like I met you just now and I gave you a hug. Right. But it's like so awkward to show emotions in front of my family. Oh, in the culture. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, and then when I said, I love you for the first time, I think I was like, it was right after I did MITT. I was like, I never said I love you because they never said I love you. Right. Oh, to your family. Yeah. And okay. so when I said I love you, like I had to work through a lot of shit, right? And I was like, yeah. I love you. And, and my mom's like, what's wrong? Kind of like, are you dying? Yeah. And my oh. dad said, thank you. Oh, wow. You're welcome. <laughs> like, so emotions is like a business transaction. Right? Okay. Okay. Or like, yeah. He didn't know how to process. He's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely odd, I guess, like growing up. And I feel like the way I was brought up versus like the person I either like wanted to be or mm-hmm. the person that I am deep down right. is so different than right. I guess how I was raised. Yeah. And, and also, do you think like, uh, you know, however they were raised or environment, they just, you know, don't know how to show affection and emotions. Yeah. I totally believe that like whatever it is that like I went through or like the love or the, um, just like acknowledgement or any of the things I feel like I didn't get mm-hmm. or the bad things that I did get, I'm sure that has to do with my grandpa, mm-hmm. right? And then my grandpa's dad mm-hmm. and like so on and so forth. So I'm sure it's a generational cultural thing. So I know that they did the best they could. Mm-hmm. And now I know like, heck no, I'm not going to do that to my kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a disciple breaker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You are a disciple Bre- breaker. Breaking generational curses. And mm-hmm. traumas, yeah. yeah. You know, it's 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 crazy because it's like almost in every culture, right? And and then our parents, you know, they just like you said, it's it's mainly out of love because they want you to be successful. So they 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 say, okay, well, this is what helps at least our generation be successful. But if you think about it, you come from a completely different generation. Mm-hmm. So what worked for our parents mm-hmm. probably is not going to work for us, right? Nope. And what worked for us is probably not going to work for our kids either because mm-hmm. it's completely different generations. So. Um, you know, there, and there's good and bad in everything, right? Um, so what what would you say caused you to kind of like say, you know what, this is not for me. I want something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything in particular that happened to you? Was it just because it was always in you? Like, you know, I just, I feel like I need to do something different. Like, this isn't me. Where did that come from? So, I mean, I'm sure like as I do more and more work on myself, I'm like, oh shit, this stuff dates back to way older than than I than I like think about right than right. that I notice on the surface and so I would say ever since I was young like I went through like a lot of pain like there's been a lot of like just pain like I feel like I did not have a normal childhood mm-hmm. based off of like my parents like them being around them not being around yeah and I just, I never got to like play with other kids and it was always like secretive and like we never really told like my classmates or my teachers like what was really actually happening happening at home. Mm-hmm. And like because of my dad's background, like my family as in relatives always looked down on us. Okay. Because he was so- an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur part was later. Let's just say he was a gangster. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, without getting so too much into out, it, yeah. uh, like, because, you know, OG. certain things, yeah, certain things yeah. I feel like is mine to tell, certain things are not. Hey, it's all yeah. good. But, yes, yeah, so let's just so start with that. he wasn't very traditional either. <laughs> he wasn't traditional either. So, I'm yeah. like, yo, what the hell, man? Like, yeah. So, it's, they're like, oh, 
do as I say, not as I do, you know? So I was like, okay. Yeah. And so. And that's funny. Parents don't realize kids don't do what you say. They do what you do. Like a well-off family. Like mm-hmm. they weren't rich, but they were well-off. And my dad came from a super poor family. Okay. So they had this like Romeo and Juliet story. So Like the forbidden love, right? So my mom was the youngest. And so here she is telling me not to do all this stuff when I know the story. Like her ass got disowned by her yeah. family. Because she chose to be with a a bad boy. (laughs) And so I'm like, wait, so what are you telling me? She's like, well, don't be like me. And so that was like dating back to China. And so growing up, like there was already this like uh, image of my dad, therefore my family, therefore like we were the the broken kids and like kind of like, oh, like, you know, like father, like kind of like for my brother and my dad. So and so whenever I did something bad, like cut school, I mean, I did do a bunch of stuff that I guess wasn't the good, the good girl. <laughs> the traditional, uh, the, the cultural Yeah, and so they're norm. like, oh, of course she's like that, right? right. Like, oh, wow. of course, you know, my yeah. brother's like that. My brother's like, great, you know, he's he's not like me. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, he's more... <laughs> well, you seem to turn out okay. Like, by the book, like right. more so mm-hmm. than me. And so basically, I feel like, my whole life, we were judged. We were judged in that mm-hmm. way. And through just all the trauma and the pain that I went through, I just knew that deep within, I was like, hey, I want to escape this. I was like, when I grow up, whatever growing up means, right? Let's say from a kid to a teenager, yeah. teenager to an adult. Yeah. It's like, when I grow up, I don't want to live a life like this. Like, And I want to help other people. So how old were you when you started figuring that out? I was young. So these, like, this goes back to like, I would I would think it falls under the under seven category. Seven. Okay. okay, got it. Because I remember always daydreaming because I right. hated my real life. Yeah. And I remember kids, they would like wait for 240 because that's what time elementary school gets out. Okay. But I remember like I would look at the clock and dread as the day went on because that meant it was after school and I had to go home. Oh, so you didn't want to go yeah. home. I didn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. School was your escape. Yeah, so I loved school. Like I like I loved school, you know? And so yeah. not because of school, but it was no, just like just, I was like I was with other out. people, right? Like I right. felt like safe. I felt like I could be myself at home. I was just like be proper, don't get in trouble, don't get your ass whooped, you know? And yeah. so I just always went into my own like imaginary place of like yeah. where it was better. Things mm-hmm. were better. So the home was more about, it wasn't like, like it was more like discipline. Would you say it was more like strict, very disciplinarian and school was like your freedom. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what it yeah. was? You get yeah. to be more creative yeah. as well. Like at school, I was able to be myself mm-hmm. and I was like, I had friends, like I was liked. And I remember like always being the one like standing up for the people that were bullying other people too. Uh, yeah, but at home, cool. like I did not speak up. I was just like, I tried to be as invisible as possible. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you kind of were like living two different lives basically. Yeah. Wow. And what what do you think? Um, so as you started to break, so as you started to daydream and, and break out of it, what what was like your vice like what did you what helped you get out of that or was there anything you started to develop like as young to help you break out of that like you said you're already protecting kids that were bullied so you you kind of became like a like a leader and like a protector was there like was that kind of like what started to develop because of that or i have no idea like i always feel like i was the um 
the peacemaker. Okay. So I'll always be like the person and even at home, like I'll always try to like diffuse a situation. Mm -hmm. But if I saw something that like wasn't cool, then yeah, like (laughs) I remember like we would have these four square battles. I don't know if you guys know what four square is. I've heard of it. it It's like a game where you like hit the ball. And you could win if the other person doesn't get the ball. So if like there was some sort of injustice in elementary school, we'll challenge you to a four square battle. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it, was, so, it was totally so it was silly. Like West but... <laughs> Side Story with four square, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was totally silly, but um, I just remember like that was just my thing. I was happy at school. Like I loved being able to like hang out with other people, play with other kids, and at home I wasn't allowed to. A, like go to other kids' birthday parties, nor was I allowed to have people over. Um, why, my family was, was more secretive. We were not traditional. So I guess... Was it because your dad was a gangster? Uh, probably. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, well, you know, you don't tell your friends yeah, yeah. or your teacher at school like what your dad does. <laughs> right, right. I kind of understand that because I, I have a friend whose father was the leader of a very prominent motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, it was almost like not even talked about like it was like it was a different life right so you think that's kind of kind of what it was like more to protect you than anything else or i think so it's to protect me it's to protect themselves it's it's for face right Right. face and pride is huge so in a way right if you are a gangster you get a lot of respect right but on the opposite end it's like my let's say relatives didn't respect that right like there's you get respect in a certain way yeah. But in another way, it's like it's something to hide, right? It's like yeah. you don't like want to advertise that to the world. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it's like depends on to like from whom do you get respect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you get respect in the streets for being a gangster. And then your relatives who yeah. are like business, you know, business minded people, entrepreneurs or whatever, they're they don't just look, straight, they look down like on straight that, edge. Right? Like even yeah, straight, straight edge, edge, like working people and mm. and definitely not tell the teacher, you know, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be bad news. So was there yeah. like a lot of like people following these traditional roles in your family, like doctors and the women kind of fell into like the homemaker role? So was most of your family traditional? Uh yes. most of my family is traditional. By the way, none of them really speak English. So it's more of like they work jobs, but like regular people jobs. And a couple of them have like husbands that are like better off as in like they do know English. Upper middle class. Yes. Uh, And one of them is an entrepreneur like in Hong Kong. So it's like uh, they were more normal, therefore more accepted. So so normal. And I, I like that you said that because to me. When I was young, or even now, if someone says, what's your biggest fear, right? You know, people ask that, right? I said being average. Like, to me, being normal, being average is failure. To me, that's like I failed in life. Like, that's my, and again, if if that's what you like, like, I'm, I'm not trashing people that have jobs and they go to, they have the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and the two dogs and all that kind of stuff. That's totally fine, right? But um, to me, I always wanted to do something bigger always better and i went through adversity too young and so what i've learned from the podcast and i when we talk to people anybody who's either an entrepreneur they're doing something big they didn't have it easy you know what i mean so it kind of builds like a a drive like 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 you're tough obviously because like you said i know you don't want to talk about it too much but probably growing up in the household it wasn't probably fun you know what i mean but that made you tough whether you realize it or not and in life to be successful you have to be tough would you yeah. agree? Yes. Can you explain that? Because I know you're an entrepreneur, yeah. but can you explain how maybe the, the toughness 
at the time, it probably sucked because you're a kid and you're like, I just want to be a normal kid, right? But as you get older and you start to realize, like, okay, maybe it was a bad thing then, but maybe it made me a lot more tough than most people. Can you explain how that kind of might have helped you in life? Yeah, so I learned this probably later on because okay. honestly, as a kid, it was just more of like, why the hell is this happening to right. me? Of course. <laughs> it was like, I just want to be a normal kid. I just want to have like, hang out with friends, play dates, go to birthday parties right. and watch more than 30 minutes of TV, which is what I was allowed. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I had to like learn math and like Chinese characters the rest of the time. So oh, wow. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, why can't I just be a normal kid? And I, it was just like, kind of like, as a, a victim now we know like now that we're older we know what's like a, what a victim is but as a kid you kind of don't really have any power so i came from a place of like i wish my life was different right. and then i think towards like my teenage years like my i call it my eminem girl phase okay. uh, eminem girl. <laughs> like Literally, the rapper eminem yes <laughs> i had my cd like repeating like the way i am and like all yeah. this other <laughs> so lots of anger, right? <laughs> and then and then so I eventually became really angry, like right. angry to mm -hmm. the point where it's like one day I'm going to show you like th for all the pain you put me through, like one day I'm going to show you guys not as in hurt them, but it's like hurt myself, like something like you want to do something to something, prove yourself. Yes. Like I was like, oh, like you guys are going to see what the hell you guys did to me. Like it yeah. was a very like angry phase. And during that phase, like and how old were you when this angry phase was happening? So I want to say whenever Eminem came out, not because of Eminem, but he really helped me through like some tough times. So like times. the early 2000s? So I want to say like definitely when I was like middle school and high school. So I was probably like, what, 13? Yeah. So like early 2000s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like around that time, I was like just angry. And then I started like, I think, rebelling. Right. So like I'm telling you, like, I guess my motivations in the beginning, I was trying to be invisible. Right. Because I was trying to protect myself from being hurt as a defense mechanism yes and then like then i went to the angry phase which is like f the world <laughs> yeah and then uh at that point like i'm sure my parents were like what the hell like i literally would hear my mom talk to my aunt and be like well at least your kid talks back like my kid doesn't say anything wow like and then my brother was obviously the favorite because he's the guy um I love my brother. He's like my best friend, but like I hated him too. I was like, what the hell, man? This kid, he, he's two years younger. He's like, he can do anything and nothing right. is wrong mm -hmm. because he's the son, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm the older sister. I'm supposed to be the responsible one. Yeah. And so Example. I just like shut down yeah. and like I started like cutting school, like, and I just like faked all my papers, like and from my parents and notes. <laughs> and I started going to Chinatown and hanging out with the gangster boys. Yeah, like, yeah. So literally... <laughs> Everything my mom said, she made a mistake on. I like kind of followed down that path, yeah. and then eventually so everything they tried to prevent you from doing, you ended up doing. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And then, um, like it was like this, and then I started like eventually in my later teens, like early adulthood, I like tried drugs, yeah, because I was like, you know what, f this. Um, and there were drugs in my family as well, so I literally yeah. just kind of did everything that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I wasn't supposed to do and I knew right. better. Mm. Rebelling. So you're like, hey, you tell me no, I'm going to do it and do it. Yeah. More. And so, but somewhere along the lines of that, I think it was like when I was like 16 and on, not saying I didn't do anything bad beyond 16, I still did, but I got this, my first job, it was at a nonprofit. So it was called, um, it was like CYC. It was like the Community Youth Center or Chinese Community Youth Center. Okay. And then my division was called Young Asian Women Against Violence. Oh, 
Okay. So it was a nonprofit. So I get, I got paid under minimum wage, but that like sparked something in me because that was when I learned about a lot of like injustices. And of course, like I went to like juvenile hall to like speak to kids. And Mm -hmm. so something in me, like I always knew I wanted to help people. Right. But something in me like kind of sparked. And around that time, my brother also got falsely accused of like jumping, like like a whole bunch of like Asian kids got accused for jumping this like Mexican guy at our school. Okay. And so I was friends with like everyone. I was never like just the Asian, like Asian kids. I was never that type of person. But I knew that my brother would never do something like that. And plus he wasn't even there, but he got sent to juvie. Hmm. Oh, wow. And like, that's really scary for someone that was, I think I was like 16. So he was probably 14. So that's really, really scary. Yeah. And if you, like you said, he probably had it easier. So he wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And he is like such a good kid. Like not the school cutting. Like (laughs) what did your dad say when that happened? So my dad believed him and my mom believed him, but my entire family said like father, like son. And I was like, oh, hell no. So I was like, (laughs) I will protect him now. So at that point, you know, we were still, our relationship was kind of rocky, but I guess when something happens like that, it's like my like older sister came out. And so like we did all these like protests and I went to city hall, like it was on TV and everything. And this whole like, like, where's the proof? Like, where's the evidence? And so anyways, he got released. We got a bunch of press and like he got released and a couple of my other friends did too. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, so like hey, yeah. this works. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this is cool. Like, actually, um, I can use my passion or my fire or my pain or whatever it Your was voice. to do mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. To do something good. And so around that time was when I think my desire for serving or helping others was growing inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say like, you know, I still went through my, my dark path. Yeah. But that was like the beginning of me knowing like my calling. Mm-hmm. That spark. Yes. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool though. How old were you when that happened? Like 16. That's very young to 16. find your find your calling. 16, but I was still, you know, it was a calling like yeah. like brewing inside, brewing. right? Okay, okay. And then a series of situations and then like me really coming into my own. Yeah. A few years later. <laughs> so, I have a question too though. So, because your father, you know, was doing what he's doing was your was your brother kind of like protected or was it just kind of like fair game for him when all that kind of stuff happened like was your dad like known because he said oh i hung out with all the gangsters and stuff did they know who your father was or it was kind of like nobody knew except for your family um no so that was much later so my dad actually really changed his path okay because he actually went to prison when oh. I was young. So that's another, <laughs> that's another thing. So yes, yeah. uh, he actually went to prison. And when he went to prison for a few years, he came out and actually really tried to turn his life around. Okay. So by the time we were teenagers and all that stuff happened, that life was behind him. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when your subconscious was formed, that life was full force. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <All> <laughs> yes. Right, awesome. So, so now like, you helped your brother, you freed him, started brewing a little bit. What happened after that? What happened after that was um, my parents decided to move to Sacramento. Okay. So then it was going to be my senior year. So I got actually, I had to move. Like I didn't want to, I wanted to stay in San Francisco, (laughs) but they were like, no, your ass is coming to Sacramento. And so my senior year, I had to move to Sacramento 
And is so, that, like, was that when like everybody was kind of moving out of like the Bay Area and heading to Sacramento? I'm or was it still sure. kind of dead? Like, none of my friends were moving to Sacramento. Oh, I was yeah. the only one. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, this is the early 2000s. This or is mid, like, right? so now I'm like 16, 17. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess do them. <laughs> I don't know. And those, but, are, those are like your best years in high school, too. Like, you have all your friends, yes. you're starting to develop your identity. Yes. And then you take off to Sacramento. <laughs> yes. So, that was like, not great and so basically my life my community my friends like you know i'm doing this like nonprofit stuff that kind of just went away oh wow. and then i had to start over and like make new friends in sacramento it was a tough year it was a tough year and yeah i think that's when things went downhill i like was in a bad relationship right. it was not a great relationship and then it was kind of like one relationship after another right. and at that point i had found a lot of my self-worth in being with the whoever I was with. Yeah. Mm. So you're putting your self-worth in your partner. Yes. And so I just felt like I stayed in like not the best relationships mm-hmm. for the next like, wow, I guess 18 to 21. It wasn't long, but it was like three non-healthy relationships. Yeah. This three, years has a- of, <laughs> three years of bad relationships can do a wonder. <laughs> that, that, that can seem like five years to be in three-year toxic yeah. relationship. Yeah. It could seem a long yeah. time. So, so yeah. how did you break out of that? Well, so how I broke out of that was, so it, one, it was like an abusive relationship. Like it wasn't a physically abusive relationship because I already knew I was never going to let anyone put a All hand right. on me again yeah, like, since, I was, since <laughs> yeah. I was like a child. So yeah. no one like ever touched me like that. But it was like a mentally, emotionally yeah. abusive relationship, which sometimes is, those I don't know, worse. that's worse, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was, that ended. I just had to end it. Like this person like faked his death and everything. And my dad, oh my gosh. the gangster came out. He was like, if he's not dead, I'm about to go kill him. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and, like, so, oh, oh. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, so anyways, um, that ended. And then I actually made it, I got into a bunch of the UC schools. Okay. So that was something that was not expected from myself, my family, or mm. any of my relatives. Right. They were quite shocked. Yeah, because you're like, I wasn't even trying. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even trying in school. But what really I feel like got me in is my extracurriculars right. and my nonprofit and all well, my yeah. activism yeah. stuff. So I was like, wow, my GPA was kind of crappy, but yeah. I got in. And so I ended up going to UC Davis. That's pretty cool, yeah. Um. Yeah, so my parents were like, I feel like that was the first time in my life. No, I was like, they were proud. Right. Yeah. Did they actually say it? They didn't say it, but how you know is when you hear them talking on the phone with other people. Mm. Oh, my daughter made it into this school and this school and this school, right? Yeah. Like, you know, in, in, in Cantonese. And and so I ended up going to UC Davis, mm-hmm. but I was never into school. And right. so I actually ended up like, like, I only told my parents about this, like, in the last few years. Like, I ended up, like, cutting school, like, once again, like, hanging with the wrong crowd, did right. my drugs, was dating that guy that I dated for like two years. Right. I went out to San Francisco a lot. Like I moved in with him. So it was just like a shit show. And I pretended because my parents were so proud. I didn't have the heart to like break their heart. And so right. I did so bad in school that I lost all my financial aid. Wow. And so I was like, what am I going to do? My parents are not rich people. They had a struggle. They had like their fourth struggling business at that point, right? right? Like a Chinese restaurant and like a kitchen and granite shop. And so I pretended like I was getting financial aid and I worked three jobs just so I could pay the rent mm-hmm. that financial aid was supposed to cover and my gotcha. tuition. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was like I was living a lie because I didn't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I was like, 
trying to also escape my own life at the same time. And so when that relationship ended, I think I was 21, uh, that boyfriend cheated on me. Mm -hmm. And so that was like the end of my like men. Like that was like, I was like, screw men. I was like, F you guys. (laughs) Like, and then I went on my like independent woman journey. Yeah. And so at that point, what happened was I was like in and out. I was in the Bay Area. I was like kind of like in school, but not. And then my brother, my younger brother got into UC Davis. And so my parents were like, it would mean the world to us if you came back to UC Davis and finished school like with your brother, like, like graduated yeah. together from UC Davis. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Their dream come true, right? So I came back to UC Davis and I actually found this amazing internship. It's called College Works Painting mm-hmm. and it's a house painting thing, right? But the idea of it is you start and run your own business from the ground up. Mm-hmm. I would say that's like my top three life experiences ever. So I literally like went knocking on doors like in Elk Grove, Sacramento, like gave painting estimates, learned how to run my own business, like made the sale, hired the painters, like managed profit, customer satisfaction. And so that summer, it's an internship internship. where you make money as well. So my mom's like, why can you do normal things? Like go work at the government, like push papers. And I was like, and I came back with like paint all over myself instead. (laughs) So like, what, what are you doing? Like, and so that was a really time intensive internship, Mm -hmm. but it really taught me that I can do anything. Yeah. I ran an $80,000 business that year as a 20, 20 year old, I guess, 21 year old. And so I was like, holy shit. And so that was the first time that I found worth in myself. That's Mm. awesome. Like not some dude I was dating, like not how popular or the friends or the cool guys or the gangsters, like whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just like, holy shit, like I'm badass. (laughs) And so that was my first time realizing that. And then my mind like went from like, okay, I think I can be a business woman of some sort, whether that's like quit college because I was never into it. Like I can. So you never finished school. Never finished school. I continued on with that internship. They promoted me to actually train and hire and work with college students. So for a few years, for a couple years, I mentored college students Mm -hmm. while still kind of like half-ass, like quarter-ass going to school. Yeah, which is hilarious. (laughs) You're mentoring college students and you're like, I'm not even going to finish college. Because like, so what I believe is, okay, they tell you college, like your ass better go to college. But guess what? People graduate college and work at Starbucks. Nothing's wrong with Starbucks, mm. but college is no longer what it used to be. You're no. not guaranteed a job. Yeah. Even 100%. if you are, yeah. like how much are you getting paid, yeah. right? So A degree is like a passport. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> if it's not for you, it's not for you. Don't force yourself to do it just because people expect you to do it. Yeah, so the types of people that I feel like this internship attracted were more like, hands-on real world experience hustlers and then ultimately like a lot of people that did the internship like maybe they were on the path of like being an engineer or something and they realized oh shit like i'm passionate about business right Right. and so that's the path i went down and eventually i got recruited for a few different jobs and i finally worked up the courage to tell my parents at the age of like 23 ish like early 20s i was like I got recruited for a job. Don't kill me. I'm quitting school. Like, <laughs> <laughs> My God. And Close your eyes when you did that. <laughs> I was so scared. I was so scared because like, I don't know, like they just always instilled in me that college was the route to go. Yeah. The route it, was, to take. it was for what they knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but 
Like, it's the same for me. Like, I barely just made it out of school because I wanted to, you know, so my parents, like, it took me eight years to graduate. Yeah. And my sister got her path. master's degree in five. So my sister almost passed me up with her master's younger. Yeah. Obviously, right? I'm the older. I'm supposed to be the example. Yeah. Um, And I was the black sheep, the one, you know, but it's always the first kid that they kind of mess up on because they're practicing, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And then they're like, well, we're not going to do that with the next one, right? But, but anyways, um, so, I mean, it, it's okay. It's kind of like, it kind of was what gave you who you are now you know and also I, mean? I think obviously it's a, a different generation we think differently yeah. and we are our um, opportunities are different too from our parents opportunities yeah so at one point at one time getting a degree and going to get a job might have been okay like when i went to school and maybe kind of like near the tail end of when you went to school it cost it cost me eleven thousand a year to go to, to go to, to school and this is Cal State Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. is a state school, right? It's an accredited business school. Now it's 30000 a quarter. It was just triple, right? So, you know, what cost my parents probably, plus with some financial aid, probably maybe thirty grand. now would cost an average family $90,000. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, like you said, and again, I'm not against education because everyone should have an education, but it's not a guarantee. Right. It's not it's the mistake that most parents make is that this is going to guarantee you success in life when that's not going to guarantee success. People skills, leadership skills, business mindset, street smarts, Mm -hmm. hustle, hard work. You're going to whoop anybody with a degree uh, if they don't have that. Now, if they have a degree and they have that, well, then that's a little bit different. Right. Uh, Have you ever seen that meme um, that has a 50 cent? And he goes, I never went to Harvard, but everybody that works for me did. No, but that's all yeah. he would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's almost like a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Kanye West is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Like all these people that maybe didn't go to school, but they have the street hustle. They have the business mind. They're just eccentric, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Also, They're, it's the grind, you yeah. know, and the self-talk that they instill in themselves every single day, especially people coming from the hard, you know, hard knock life. Like every single day they instill that in their mind it's a conditioning too Mm -hmm. so yeah so now you tell your parents i'm quitting school (laughs) what what happened so i was shocked like i thought they were gonna disown me um (laughs) but they actually well my dad didn't agree first off he says yeah i don't think you should Mm. um but that's, at this that's not point, as bad as you probably it thought. It wasn't it was as happen. bad as I thought. Like, but at this point, I think they saw that I was making something of myself because they had seen that I worked like long ass 12, 16 hours yeah. a day. I came back with pain, you know, like they saw I was also very passionate, right? They were like, yeah. my mom says, well, we kind of figured because we've never seen you hold a textbook, but you always have paint like all over your body and you're yeah. like, always waking up early you're coming back late like you're always on the phone they knew i was hustling like they knew that for a fact Mm -hmm. so i think by then and they said and your brother's about to graduate and you're not so we kind of figure you're not into school (laughs) (laughs) so if you can make a lot of money you know and honestly i was making i was for sure making more money than someone else who graduated and like was looking for a job Mm -hmm. they're like if you are more about work then i guess like go ahead and so i was like like yay i was like that was easier than i thought yeah. mm-hmm. in a way i think they knew too because they understand what it takes to be successful 
you know, like you said, your dad was an entrepreneur. He understood. The, so he, so like you said, they probably saw you. They go, okay, well, maybe she's not going to get the degree, but she has the qualities and the passion it takes to be successful. Because in the end, like they say, our parents just want us to be successful. Mm -hmm. They just want the best for us. So they think that school is the best route, right? But it's, it's not for everybody. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But I, I think they saw it. Like you said, they saw the passion. They saw the hard work. And mm -hmm. they go, hey, you know what? As long as she has that, she's going to be okay. Yeah. You know what she's I mean? like, but don't tell anyone you're quitting school. <laughs> <laughs> the face coming back again. Like. Yeah. yeah. So what happened after that? So after that, I went to work for a company. And it was actually, I got a few job offers. But I actually chose the lowest paying base. With the highest potential for commissions because okay. I'm very much like a performance-based person. You believe in yourself. <laughs> and so it was a smaller company. I knew I was going to have more say. Mm -hmm. So I stayed at that company for, I want to say, three and a half years. And I, I did make more money than I would have made at any of those other places. Of course. Uh, before they offered me the partner position. Wow. And that was when I had a post-quarter life crisis. Okay. At the age <laughs> of like, I think I was like 26, 27. And I was like... What is the meaning of life? Like, do I want to continue down this path and make potentially a shit ton of money? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to do something different? Right. And that's when, like, I was going to New York. I live in New York now with Sergio. And around that time, I was living here in the Bay. Right. And I, I was, like, going to all the festivals. I was, like, traveling. Like, life was pretty good. I had, like, unlimited PTO. But I used some of that PTO to travel to New York because that's where I've always wanted to live ever since okay. I was a little girl. Wow. Something about that city is like really magical. And so I went back a few times. I interviewed with a bunch of nonprofit like founders. But it was more so of like me interviewing them to figure out, hey, like how's a nonprofit work? Like how's yours work? Like what would it look like if I worked at a nonprofit, blah, blah, blah. So it was almost like, hey, can I have some of your time? It wasn't like, can I work for you? Yeah, you're and picking so, your brain. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so what I found out was what I predicted, which is that there's so many rules and regulations in nonprofits. So to me, I knew I wanted to make a difference, but I am not big on rules. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, it kind of limits your ability to make a difference, right? Yeah, and so I was like, I don't want to go down the nonprofit route but neither do I want to stay here and become partner because yeah. once I do, I'm pretty much married to this company mm -hmm. and I feel like a piece of my soul was like dying every day. Like, Ooh, that's not good. And I had like, I liked what I did, but I'm the type of person that's like, if I'm not like madly in love, hundred percent. Yeah. Then like is not good enough. Like yes. like is like slowly dying and <laughs> I'm very picky, so I don't want to slowly die. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that, basically, you um, you followed your heart. You followed your bliss. Yeah. 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 We always talk about that because you know the main reason this podcast is even in existence is because of you know everybody wanted to find their true purpose and follow their their bliss, so we say, right? And uh, you know, you already realized it. You said, I mean, I could be making all kinds of money because Gary V. You mentioned him earlier, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I love him. So he says he has this quote. He says, it's not how much money you make, but how you make your the money. money. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about, Gary Vee? But then I understood. Mm -hmm. He's talking about if you're not passionate about it, mm -hmm. if it's not your purpose, who cares how much money you make? Number one, you're probably not going to go that far anyways. Mm -hmm. And number two, you're going to be kind of just like, just going through life, kind of like a chore, kind of like a routine. 
<clears throat> excuse me. But if you find your purpose, they say when 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 a person finds their purpose, they come alive, right? So, so yeah, I mean that's what it was. Like you, you knew you had opportunity, um, and you believed in yourself, which is big because you're like you know most people say I want to take the higher paying job, mm-hmm. you know. But people who they always say that people who believe in themselves take commission jobs because mm-hmm. they're betting on themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want no caps, right? So then, so then, um, a couple questions I have for you. Where did the love for New York come from? And then number two, um, where did that belief in yourself come from? So my love for New York, I remember, so first off, actually, when I was in my mom's belly, like before she gave birth, she lived in New York with my dad. So I'm uh, like, blame yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, my, they hated it. Like my mom hated it at least. She was uh, like, oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's dirty, which it's all of those things, but. It's also amazing. So, right. um, I mean, San Francisco is <laughs> kind of very similar, you know? Like, there's something about the New York energy. So, when I was 11, I went there with my family and I was like, wow. Like, I was like, all these people, all these lights. So, something like stuck. Yeah. And okay. then you so watch all these movies, right? It was imprinted you're like, on you. Like, oh my gosh. And then, but that was it. That was the one time I went there. But in my 20s, I went back multiple times. And it never lost its magic. Okay. And so I was like, one day I'm going to live here. So New York picked you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So uh, I just, something about the energy, it really felt in alignment to me. Okay. Like they say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. Right. And so Empire, just, state of mind. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like, I felt like I had plateaued, I guess, here. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends. I have my community here and my job. I have everything here. But I felt like going somewhere where I didn't know anyone or barely knew. I mean, I met a few friends along the way, right? Like going there a few times. But I really felt like going to a brand new place. You were right? comfortable here. Yeah. Like starting, like like quitting my job, packing my shit, like taking a six-week cross-country road trip and yeah. moving Sergio to the place I've that. always went. So that's the second time. Yeah. Oh, wow. So the first time I went by myself. Oh, you went by yourself. So five years ago mm-hmm. when I quit my job and I started Neon Owl, I also moved to New York by myself. Wow. You and drove then, by yourself all the way across country? Yeah. Six weeks by wow. myself. What was that like? Talk about that because that's very interesting. What did you eat? Like, uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I have very vivid images. Like, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so... Uh, it was it was a really amazing experience. So I felt so liberated, right? Because I yeah. quit my job. And the first stop was to LA. I think it was like Nocturnal Wonderland. So we're really big into festivals. Okay. Oh, I've point, heard of Nocturnal so Wonderland. So at that point, Sergio festival. and I weren't, we knew each other, but we weren't like really connected. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was my brother and I and my friends. Okay. And I already started Neon Owl at that point. So... Uh, and it's all about like music and charity. And so we were like, okay, first stop, LA, Nocturnal Wonderland. And so that was also like my farewell party kind of. So with a few friends and my younger brother, we all went to Nocturnal. And then when we parted ways, like we both cried, like my brother and I, because, yeah. you know, his sister was leaving. Yeah, like, his and, big sister <laughs> was taken off. Yeah. yeah. And so then I remember like having a magical experience with like a lot of my photographer friends that were working at with uh, Insomniac. And we, like, broke into some buildings and, like, some, like, the tallest buildings in L.A. So I'll always remember that as one of my favorite memories. You were on an adventure, <laughs> a daily adventure. Yes, I was like, this is, like, this is the start of, like, something new, like, my new life. And then the rest of it was, for the most part, by myself. I did meet with a few friends along the way, but for the most part, it was, like, random, like, hotels, Airbnbs. And um, the weirdest thing I ate 
to go back on the food part was I think I stopped by Louisiana. So I went to some random places, like super random. Wherever you could stop, right? <laughs> like super random. And then I uh, went to Louisiana. It's at this bar. Like it was like a bar, restaurant. They had music. And I was like, okay, like what's your, what's your like best popular dish here? And they were like, oh, like I think it was called crawfish pie. Yeah. Um. So FYI, as you get like towards like middle America and like the South, the there's less and less veggies. I'll, I'll say that much. Like yeah. being from San Francisco and LA, right? Like yeah. you're like, okay. So this crawfish pie was the most odd thing I ate. It was a pie, but <laughs> it had crawfish in it. But the inside was like butter and cream. It was thick. Oh I'm God. certain that shit was like 5,000 calories. Yeah. Sounds like a heart so, attack And then it was treat cheese baked on top. Oh, my God. So I didn't want to be, like, disrespectful or anything. That was not. I was just, I was shocked. I ate a couple bites and, like, yeah, I, that was that. But oh that was God. some weird. I was like, this is not my type of, not my type of food. Like good southern <laughs> But I ate a lot of great food, too, like shrimp and grits. Like, yeah. that's always delicious, you know, and yeah. bomb-ass fried chicken. Like, they don't make fried chicken like they do in the south like you know so (laughs) so everything except for that crawfish pie the crawfish pie is a a huge no-no yeah (laughs) that's crazy so i mean talk about that though because that's pretty brave to go across the country by yourself like what was it like when you were just by yourself sometimes was it like a lot of self-reflection did you learn a lot about yourself or was it scary was it fun was what was that like it was many things um so i would say like, well, first of all, everyone thought it was crazy. I was like, oh, my God, you're going by yourself. And I did, like, many solo travels, like, internationally after that as well. But I feel like that experience, like, I had already traveled solo before, but within the country. But that experience and just quitting my job and moving to New York, like, it just felt like anything is possible. So, if anything, like, it was me expanding my box or breaking free of the box even more like going by myself and there were times that were kind of sketchy but it was always just me being open to new experiences right. and people and it really was symbolic it was like literally i packed up my shit i quit my job i'm driving away from home and my comfort zone right. into the unknown right. so i think that's how i'll summarize that whole trip well they say everything you've ever wanted is right outside your comfort zone mm-hmm. so like i think you kind of shed fear like any fear you pretty much had, had most of it had to be shed on that trip. Mm-hmm. Is, is that true? It is. And there were still fears, right? Because like, honestly, when I told everyone I was quitting my six-figure job, right? to, it wasn't even to like build this other super profitable business. If anything, like, and that's another story about like my conversation with like, for the longest time I had this conversation of like, okay, money doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I want to be fulfilled. Yeah. Right. It means giving back to the duck. But, in the last five years, five plus years of being an entrepreneur, I also realized, okay, it's not just one or the other. It's not either you're evil and making money or you're sa- like saving the world and making shit, right? Yeah. There's got to be a healthy balance. 100%. And money, money is not evil. It's what you do with it, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's energy. It's, it's a tool. It's yeah. just a piece of paper. Yeah. So I definitely went through my journey of like, holy shit, I just quit my six-figure job and I'm making zero dollars. So mm. there was definitely that fear but my was there purpose, any doubts though like did you there have was doubts? never a doubt mm. because i i know i can make money yeah. i know i'm very hireable so i was like 
if all goes to shit, which is like not the plan, mm-hmm. I can easily get another six figure paying job. Mm-hmm. But if I don't do this now and create neon owl and yeah. go after my passions and pursue my coaching business and everything, when the hell am I going to do it? Like you were that was circling. following your bliss. That yeah. was a huge <laughs> example of following yeah. your bliss. Everyone. You're always going to wonder what if. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like doing, doing the training recently, like I learned that one of my top away values, which can be healthy or unhealthy is I don't want to live with the feeling of regret. Oh, I was about to talk about regret. That's mm-hmm. something I'm afraid of. Like, I don't want to be old and be like, oh, I should have done that. I should have done this and that. Like, no. Yeah, yeah. They always there. say the old people never talk about the things that reg- they regret doing. Mm-hmm. They talk about the things that they didn't yeah. do. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. That was the end of part one. Part two comes out next Monday, 9 a.m. Please stay tuned. Make sure you like and subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so that YouTube will let you know when the next one comes out. Mm-hmm.